I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. My name is Abbas Zahidi. I'm the associate artist of Postwar Modern, an exhibition looking at new art in Britain from 1945 to 1965. As the associate artist of the show, I was invited to consider contemporary reflections around the post-war era. And so I developed a program entitled The Age of Many Posts. And what we're going to listen to today on the podcast is a public conversation initiated by myself and another artist called Joshua Leon as a duo called Council in which we invited members of the public to reflect on this term post and what does it mean to live in such an age of many posts what's going on josh what's going on where right now well, we're starting Hello, no what are you saying so yeah this is uh, got count- to start the conversation so this is um this is a welcome everyone this is a conversation um that is being recorded at the barbican on the water side half of us are sitting in the shade and the other half in sunlight and um, we're surrounding this this floating um, sort of uh, uh, grape bunch uh, sort of balloon uh, sculpture with the words post on it and um, all of this is to get together and try to elaborate an idea that Josh and I had um, on this um, idea of a council some sort of a conversation circle sitting in the round uh, similar to like a support group or a crit in art school um, kind of uh, decentralized immaterial art school in a way and we're trying to understand how how it could um, form part of our sort of uh, methodology going forward in our work and and as a collaboration conversation is as I would say a material for us. Would you agree? Do you want, yeah, but do you want to premise like also the notion of post within the Barbican sort of yeah. notion that you worked with here? Yeah, for sure. So this is part of uh, a public program which I put together called The Age of Many Posts. And uh, it's in response to the post-war modern show. Um, I was invited on board as the associate artist of the show to make a kind of contemporary response to the era of the show, which is the post-war era, um, particularly, you know, um, the immediate 20 years after the war and trying to reframe the kind of art historical narrative, which is what the show is doing, focusing on artists that may not have been um, as uh, prevalent 
in in that kind of um, historical conversation and now bringing that to the fore and, and looking at forms of marginalized identities, whether it's around queerness, um, uh, artists who are women and migrants and the whole situation around race and being a refugee in that era hasn't really been dealt with sufficiently. So the post-war modern show uh, is a kind of landmark exhibition for the Barbican uh, to uh, sort of elaborate some of the gaps in that, in that story. And so my response as a contemporary um, kind of forum is to look at that time and sort of conflate it with the current era, which is an era in which the word post has taken on many different connotations. And we often hear about things like post-human, um, post-structuralist, post-Brexit, um, post-Trump, post-Covid. This is every, everything that we sort of seem to define. There's a very quick um, impulse to talk about it as something that we're getting after and got moving into this idea of post. And so for me, that contemporary resonance with this current era of also being a period of post many crises and many kind of conflicts and even the idea of post-war doesn't really exist for most people in the world. There are still wars continuing uh, to this day and so for me to refer to something as post-war felt a bit uh, narrow-minded so to speak. And so this council is really here as a way of interrogating this, this term post and what does it mean to actually have this desire of labeling things as post and you know what does it mean to even just just reflect on that term in a in a collective setting so like your your proposal is effectively trying to deconstruct this idea that we're post anything all oh, right you want me to talk into the microphone yeah. so so just just to just to clarify the the idea of the council is each bench has one mic and if you would like to join in the conversation you just have to signal to whoever's got the mic on your bench they'll pass it to you and then you can talk and, and then... Please feel free to yeah. interject. It's very, it's very open conversation, so yeah. just try to make it as natural as possible yeah. within this very constructed situation. But in essence, you're trying to deconstruct the idea of post and suggest that more it's like we're living in a continuum of emotions, feelings and affect, or affects, if you like, that have come as a result of these crises that have happened, yeah? And you're trying to say that they're continuous in the sense that we still feel them we're still impacted by them, and that we can't actually get o like we can't we won't we're not going to get over them by labeling them post. That was the premise you're working with in the beginning, yeah, yeah. and then like trying to open that up into how that relates to contemporary thinking, making whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, and I mean the idea of post for me comes out of this this notion where we're dealing with a very linear timeline. So and that kind of linearity of of, of timelines in a kind of historical uh, method, however we want to frame it, really, for me, comes out of the kind of Abrahamic faith tradition. So, really, like, the Western civilization is kind of built on this premise, right? So, um, because these are traditions... Hello, feel free to join. Um, so, you know, there's this, there's this premise within Abrahamic traditions that it's eschatological. So there is, there is this linear path towards an end of time. And, and, you know, even Fukuyama, when he talks about the end of history, you know, there's this idea of like, we're, we're all moving forwards in this linear direction to this singular event 
that is gonna that gives meaning to everything that came before it. So that kind of transcendent um, leap into uh, annihilation, so to speak. Really, for me, post comes at, in response to this. This this question of um, post. It, it's it's kind of like. Um, if you have that linear version of history, you're trying to make these markers to say, okay, we've got past this stage and then this is what comes next. But actually, most civilizations prior to this kind of development of Abrahamic traditions and eschatological thinking, linear time, coming out of the Fertile Crescent in the Mediterranean, the Middle East, all of that, those other histories were more cyclical ideas of time. Mm. They were ideas that things repeat and things are on a loop and a sort of time actually moves with geography and um, the, the like astrology and the cosmos and so there wasn't this necess necessity to just label things as like these, these kind of linear time hold placeholders in time yeah. that's moving us in a direction how does that relate let's say to like how one would make or think today in terms of like you know it's nice to have the theory of it but understanding its like relevance in terms of when you're thinking about doing something as trying to be situated in multiple times all at once. True. How do you do that? I mean, someone else can maybe respond to that. Okay. Anyone, any ideas? I don't know. It's, so what's, it's the, what's, the, what's the actual question? Give a, give a short question. Okay, so let, let's say you're trying to produce an artwork that situates itself in the contemporary, but deals with the past and potentially the future simultaneously. How would you think, go about thinking about these kinds of concepts as like a product in the production of work? Is post and the idea of making something representative of the contemporary antithetical? Potentially. Because for me, post represents or means like a placeholder, so it's not like fixed. So there will be a history after post, especially from your, your thinking. So like, it's not really a fixed point, it's a, it's a post is a placeholder. Can you then make something representative of contemporary life through a methodology of post? I'm not sure if that made any sense at all, but I wanted to say something. So, um I was wondering, my understanding of this word post in terms of like post-structuralism or post-COVID or whatever has always been that it doesn't necessarily mean something that comes after a time or phase and it's different to that, but rather that this thing that was new and defining um, or was on everyone's mind has somehow then seeped into reality in a holistic way, like we can't think of the world without COVID or there's no post-structuralism, there's no, it, structuralism is just there in everyone's mind whether anyone's read it or not. Um, so post being kind of um, a, uh, um, something being completely um, full of that rather than beyond it or having overcome something. So, so the designation of post is actually uh, a reference to becoming aware of something. It's like the, it, it, it signals a period in which this awareness came to pass. Yeah, or that it's so present that you can't imagine reality without it. It's become part of the structure of reality, part of the framework. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so, so that makes me feel like it's less about moving on and it's more about kind of expanding notions of reality to contain more. Um, it's like uh, having moved through rather than moving on. Like we're having moved through this moment, we now understand that we've moved through this moment and we cannot forget it. So it's like a, like a refusal to forget, if you like. Yeah, or in a way, like if there's been, you know, a kind of social or epistemological revolution, like um, the um, change from a, a geocentric to a heliocentric world or something like that, you can't go, you can't go back to the, what was before. It's like a loss of innocence in a certain subject or something. Mm. It's just there. And the way that, I don't know if, like many people won't have read Foucault, but many of the terms or the ideas in Foucault's writing might be super um, clear to a lot of people because it's just, there's a kind of, I don't know, trickle down is the wrong word, but it's kind of there. Like it's a seepage. There. Yeah, a seepage, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I also keep thinking about the idea of just post as the post, as in posting things yeah. and like sending messages. And maybe when we say like, oh, we're post this thing or that thing, what it is, is it's like a constant messaging with a moment that's come before in the verb sense. So rather than it being of a noun, it's like more of a verb. So it's something that's happening constantly. It's a way of relating to something through not so much a material essence, but it comes also as a verb in the material essence. In like when I post something to someone, there's a time frame in which that post will arrive and there's waiting in that period of like the response as well. And maybe that's like a way of thinking about it in terms of time. It's like we're relating to time rather than relating to, in the immaterial sense, rather than the physical things. Like you're saying, a seepage, something that's seeping into us is happening over time. And we're constantly, when we say post-structuralism, it's because we're relating back to structuralism at that time and understanding how it relates now. And it's a messaging, if you like. But, but again, this is within a Western framework, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I would disagree because what you were saying about, you know, how linear time is and you have a pre and a post, if things were really seeping through, you wouldn't define them like that. You know, everyone talks about post-capitalism, post-Cold War, but the thing is, those are still the landmarks. And also I would disagree that, you know, for Coldian thought is so dense, I don't think it seeped through. It's been marketed, it's been weaponized, it's been, you know, digested, but I don't think it's been understood. And some of it might also be off the mark, you know, I mean, um, the theory about disciplines and everyone now is giving out data to websites and so on. It's like, and we're doing that willingly. Nobody's forcing us to do so. So I don't know. I'm a bit <laughs> confused about that. Yeah, yeah I, I hear you. I, I think um, the, the post has been hijacked. <laughs> um, yeah. I think also, like, in terms of that hijacking, it is, like, post is often used as this kind of erasure or attempt at erasure, this kind of, like, oh, it's over now. It's almost like that kind of post, like, just staking a kind of, okay, that's the line. Um, and that is, like, as you say, that's kind of dangerous that we sort of name something as post and then, yeah. And so it's almost doing, like, what you're saying at the same time as being claimed as the opposite of that, in a way. Um. Yeah. I, really, I, f I really think this is a good, good point because if someone is trying to designate 
post some any any situation, I always think in whose benefit is it for us to be post that situation? Like who benefits from everyone accepting, for example, let's say in the American context, often the term comes up that we're post race, right? The people try to make that point. And in reality, who benefits from that? Because it's not black people, you know? So if, um, if, if we're trying to actually use these designations, maybe it's, it's, it's a form of enacting a certain type of privilege um, in a social uh, kind of reality. And actually the people that feel those, whatever situations the most, they don't feel they are post. So... If you take that framework, are you slightly criticising the show upstairs? Slightly. Slightly. <laughs> well, like a slight of hand. Have seen the public you know? programme? It's like a subtle... It's not a criticism. But... It's, 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 a, it's a relational expansion of what... I feel like what the show is trying to highlight in the... From a, from a historical perspective, we're trying to bring sight to in the present. So it's like really saying that the situation hasn't really shifted as much as we think it yeah. has. And, and now we're seeing the situation with Ukraine and, and stuff and we're seeing it really hasn't. Yeah. You know? I mean, just you're saying post war for whom? And I'm asking you, for whom is the show for, you know? Well, I mean, that's, that's the, the, for me, the first question when I, you know, when I was invited to the program was, and being told post-war, I felt like I, I'm, many wars are still present to me. Maybe it's not here, but I'm here and many other people who are here are, are feeling connected to conflicts all over the world. Mm. So may, may, I, I can't imagine a situation in which I can feel that we're post-war. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that feels like. My whole life, there's been wars that I'm attached to. So, yeah. and, you know, if you take the expanded notion of war, you know, there's lots of conflicts. Many. Constantly ongoing that we yeah. don't read about. Have you ever felt like you've been post-war? Uh, not really, no. I'm from Afghanistan, so uh, I was born into war. Born into war? How can you be post-war if that's your reality? I don't know. That's, I think that's what you're trying to articulate, no? in this space. Yeah, maybe. It's an, let's just say it's an interesting premise well, it's, yeah, <laughs> to be post-war. In the sense of like, the question of being post-war, especially that war, still centers a certain person who probably instigated that war in the first place. It's like a centering of, of, the, inst of the one who starts or is involved in the center of the war. But to be like the one who is in the situation of war, as you've just this shown, you know, you don't feel like there is such a thing as the post because you're just constant. You know, you're dealing with picking up sort of the ephemeral waste that, or whatever you want to call it, that happens in those spaces. You know, like the emotional baggage, if you like. Yeah. You know, you can't. How do you live without emotional baggage if you're from a war state? I wonder. Um, can you hear me? Because, so, I mean, so far we've been talking about post as adjective and the post as verb. I wonder if what we're missing is the post as noun. Uh, and what we're talking about are boundaries. Boundaries which are defined by events, like, you know, wars or by things like nations or, or, or what have you. Um, and if then the post becomes a place where one can observe, uh, one can patrol, you know, if, if you think about the border post, 
uh, and, and if the exhibition itself is, is a place mm. to observe and then the fact that it's in the Barbican, which itself was generated out of the war, so mm -hmm. this was a bomb site. So I think it's, it's then again getting us back into place again. Mm. Um, Anyway, that's, that's what I just wanted to think about. Yeah. I, I think that's really, I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it because even having this conversation here within a circle creates a kind of a boundary. That, that we, by establishing the circle in a public area, we create an inside and an outside, and therefore that boundary, the threshold of the conversation, actually becomes what is most meaningful in a way, because that. You know, if, as soon as you step out, you're post-conversation. Or if you step in, you're post-public, and now you're in an intimate environment. And so thinking of the idea of the show as holding space to observe a particular boundary, and then wondering how that boundary kind of acts like a filter for reality, maybe that's maybe that's how it should be thought about as opposed to uh, a definitive statement more a kind of a filter and that will go into kind of a Foucauldian understanding of like how, how filters are placed upon our perception of reality and allow certain things in and out and I think that's a, I think that's a conversation that's become much more prevalent nowadays as well since we're post-digital so to speak because through the kind of affective component of digital media so much seeps into us in ways that we haven't yet experienced. And so this idea of boundaries bec becomes really um, pertinent, you know, in relationships, in media, in marketing, in relationships with the state. You know, we've kind of given up all rights to our privacy in a way. So we've lost that boundary in a sense. Um, we've given up rights to like a, a structure of time, so to speak. You know, like, you know, pe people, especially like working from home and stuff, you've lost that boundary of home being a place of, like, outside of work and all these things. So I feel like this, this, this idea of, like, framing exhibitions or conversations as boundaried spaces to then observe what is a boundary gives us insight into, personally, how we establish and fill boundaries for ourselves at a time where they are constantly being eroded at every level. I don't know if that's too many conflations. Um, yeah, I wonder whether, like, the use of the word "post" is to say we've kind of we're, that's over, or whether it's like a state of being where you cannot undo what's happened in the past, and so you're like you're living a state of postness. Um, which can't be worked through in the sense that um, it can't be undone. And it makes me think of like the concept of post-memory, which is um, the concept about uh, kind of intergenerational trauma, where um, the kind of relationships you have with your ancestors kind of give you a trauma that's inarticulatable and kind of it seeps into your being and is your own personal trauma but comes from the past. Um, and that's definitely kind of like the latter sense of post being like the embodied sense of post rather than something which is past, I guess. If 
that made sense. I think um, that also relates. I've been thinking about like this move, like away from like post-colonial studies to decolonial studies, and that kind of that move away from like post, then kind of keeping you in relation to something. And I don't know, like, yeah, this is more a question than a comment, but like why do we not use that in relation to other things as well? Like, what would an exhibition on, like, that's called, like, D-war rather than post-war, like, what would that mm. look like and what would that talk about? Um, mm. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Go, go, go. No, I'm just saying I think that's a really interesting position to situate ourselves within, this oscillation between post that in this context insinuates a coming after and a D that insinuates a return to. Um, so it's interesting to be able to sit with that sort of dual movement after and return, like what, unpicking that and actually focusing on that movement rather than the actual thing it represents or marks. I don't know. I think I think by referring to it as D, like D war, D warring Britain or something like this, actually makes it feel much more incumbent on a present action or like something that we are required to address in in the current state of affairs, as opposed to this thing that we reflect on and we're like, oh yeah, it was interesting. There was a war back then. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's kind of a. It's not just a oh that really shit thing happened how do we deal with the aftermath of that it's like okay so what other options do we have and like how do we like build something different um yeah. so i think yeah that's where it, that's where it kind of becomes mm. more maybe yeah active as a prefix yeah, yeah, saying. Yeah. interesting mm. there's something in that that's like in it's okay I um, the D is also about constantly being able to relate to how the present has been shaped. And so you're, you're heightening your presence to the present, if you like, in that you're like addressing, like was being said over here, like Barbican was built after the war for a reason, as a way to rebuild something. And if you engage with that notion in the D, you're like, okay, so this is, this is why this is here. And I'm aware of that now. And it's the same way you might, if you were walking around the East End of London, which was bombed so heavily, you might suddenly, if you were engaged with this process of being active rather than passive, you suddenly engage with the idea that these streets change shape because of this thing, or these buildings were built because of this thing. And these moments in history are not, uh, they're constantly being activated by way of the way we build, rebuild structures or repair structures or in some ways erase structures as well, you know? Like there's certain things that maybe have been erased away. So there's something that's quite active in that motion yeah. that's yeah, interesting. And, yeah, and I think um, like it makes me think of the Borghi in Italy, like these kind of, um, they're almost like little towns. They were f like fascist architecture. They were monuments to fascism. And there's now this whole thing of like, okay, well, do we just tear them down or do we try and conserve them and to what extent and what for? And like, yeah, so I think it is, as you say, this kind of reshaping of something and constantly kind of oscillating between these times. And yeah, I don't know. Mm. 
That's a, that's a big question to ask, like, do we tear things down or do we leave them and then use them as educational ways to go into the D that you're talking about, you know? That's a big conversation that's going on. I was reading about the one in, um, with, there was like a Roosevelt sculpture in America and they thought about tearing it down and they're going to take it down but they haven't actually done it yet and there's this weird thing that like, but then what happens if you take it down and you erase this person's body or history from this space which is actually like he committed loads of crimes upon this space and it's like how do you then re-engage with educating people about those crimes so that you can change the shape of whatever the proto would be in this case. But then it comes down to what educational frameworks you're using, like... Totally, yeah. Like, you can keep the statue there, but if you're educating in a fixed, closed system, that's the same education system that established it in the first yeah, place. Yeah. I was just thinking about this, um, the post and the D and all these prefixes and also maybe um, things like adverbs or I was thinking of this text by Ursula Le Guin, like a short story and it's about time travel and she writes about um, yeah, traveling through time and says it's later than that and then the next sentence is but what does than mean and this kind of this like focusing on the prefix or the these words which, which make the relation of the framework, right? Like it's not the thing, it's not the verb, it's not the noun, it's not the object, but it's the thing which relates one thing to another or which points you to the other, like post or like the or anti or proto or whatever, all of these, these um, functional partial words which don't have any meaning in and of themselves, but they give meaning to everything around it. And it's, I mean, this is not a question, but it's more like maybe it's really fruitful to look at these things and to make them operative and like demodernism, de like that would be super interesting. Could we get there? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I kind of, this kind of makes me want to go back to what you were saying about trauma, um, like inherited trauma or decide, like even the term PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it, 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 it relies on a singular event, you know, so it's like a, a veteran coming back from a war who's seen someone blown to pieces and keeps re, re um, what is it, they're, they're triggered and they have flashbacks, right? And it sort of, it, it locates the trauma in a singular event that they keep returning to. So there's this kind of oscillation in time that takes place. And uh, Judith Herman, who's a psychologist, I think in the 80s, uh, developed a new term called CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, which says, which talks more about when, um, when you, when you, in a formative part of your life, when you exist in a kind of traumatic situation or circumstance, and how that just becomes a part of your being, like part of your core, is this kind of emotionally dysregulated kind of uh, pattern of feelings that come up through triggers that are not so singular or well understood, and. So your experience of time is very fragmented in that sense. You don't, you don't have this singular event to return to. It's like the difference between being shot with a rifle and a shotgun. A shotgun will just kind of rip through you in so many places you can't locate the singular point of entry. Whereas with, you know, with a rifle you have a singular point of entry, like one bullet, you can say that's where the trauma occurred. And so I feel like the way we experience time in relation to this kind of 
especially now like this emotionally dysregulated um, state of affairs that we all kind of are, are kind of and swimming in, in a way, it doesn't really help us to think of time in that linear sense because that's not how we experience time on an emotional level, on a kind of mental, phenomenological level, so to speak. And so I really feel like a lot of the structure that's been set up to kind of guide us through life doesn't really give us the capacity to experience ourselves in a way that... Um, Gives, gives us a sense of like being able to really be present, so to speak. And, and maybe like th that's why this, this, this idea of being, being present is such a... I don't know, maybe that's why we create these kind of situations. Like, you know, part of, the, part of the program here was to have a screening. And, you know, when we did the screening, you have 50 people sitting in a room watching a film at the same time. For a moment, we're all in sync so to speak, which is quite a rare thing to achieve in, in, in today's, um, in, in this age of many posts, so to speak. And, and being in this conversation again is a, is a moment where we're all kind of in sync and attentive and trying to listen and respond as, as, as odd as it may feel. And I, I just wonder like, like that, that, like if we're thinking in this framework of like D, like what are we D, like what are we undoing in this act of trying to be present in a collective way? It's like um, defragmenting or um, de-episoding or so, something along those lines of like we're undoing something that has been done to us and yet we don't really know it. It's just this kind of complex experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting with, like, the trauma analogy, like, the aim of therapy would be to, um, with the, like, the singular trauma, the aim would be to kind of put the trauma in the past because people with PTSD experience the past as if it were the present, which, like, takes over their whole life and means they can't have new experiences in the way that we would generally think. But then with like the complex PTSD situation where your identity is kind of fragmented because of it, it's way more difficult to see how putting how you would even put those things in the past or separate yourself from those events. Um, and also whether particularly like socially whether the idea of being able to place something in the past whilst acknowledging it is possible I guess um, yeah. I think there's like a couple of things related to that so there's like the, the Butler, Butlerian notion of like mourning or like grieving which is this idea that it constantly comes back to you in waves rather than it being like a okay, so someone's died and then you process your mourning and then you're over it. It's like, no, it keeps coming back, which is related to that thing of the, the, the moment reappearing. But you still go on existing, so you can exist in both these spaces simultaneously, but sometimes your grief will reappear. And then in relation to what you were saying about being present, there's like, uh, 
Lauren Ballant talks about the idea of intimate publics, whereby like because we're always in a constant state of crisis now, our living is a constant state of crisis. So when we come into these spaces, it's a way of like thinking through how our constant states of crisis come together publicly, and it's an intimate action that that can take place. And that's like her kind of articulation of this idea that we can occupy space and all hold crises together and that those crises can all materialize in a way that's relatable to each other but like each one person is having their own crisis or is living through crises and it's sort of basing it in this idea that the everyday our everyday existence is actually a form of resistance so like making coffee in the morning having your breakfast going doing whatever your routine is throughout the day like for some people maybe it's the gym other people it's reading a book other people it's listening to a podcast whatever that is that's a form of resistance to like stating the claim that like all these moments are only distinct if they're traumatizing you it's like no the opposite like you can resist by just focusing on a bit like the way I was saying about how Hannah was suggesting we activate the present by in the D it's an active you know it's not a passive moment so it's like your your activity your constant activeness your presence is being used to articulate a kind of resistance to this idea that every moment in time becomes concrete and maybe that's what you're doing we're doing right now you know like we're just saying it's not concrete it's completely fluid everyone here has something else going on and then you come together and you intimately share those things or you think through them and it helps you digest process and understand that there's intersections everywhere but it's a very depoliticized way of looking at crisis i mean if making coffee in the morning is an act of resistance it's just you know it's confined to the singular experience there's no collective component the social meaning of those actions might be defined by someone else you know looking at the structures that sure. But, so so I, mean, I, I, I see it's quite regressive. It could <laughs> be, but you know, like, Darwish wrote about making coffee in the morning during the Second Intifada, and that was his dream. So it could be conceived as, from a different position, like a Palestinian position of Darwish, living in Lebanon, it's the most political act to go into the street and make coffee with friends. It's the most political thing he can do, you know, in that moment. And he writes that, this memory for forgetfulness, he writes it 20 years yeah. after the intifada you know but it's like I need to make coffee because I miss my friends and I miss the smell of my friends being in my presence and being present is something that often is taken away from you when you're in a war zone or a crisis zone you know like the, the right to be like outside is dangerous like if you think about Ukraine you can't go outside right now you can't go have a coffee in the street like we can we can't even sit you know so being intimately public yeah, it could seem depoliticized from one position. Yeah, yeah. But from another position, it's the most political thing you could do. And right. I think historically, if you went through wars, always someone is being having that right taken away from them. And that's what's articulating like the aggressor of the war mm -hmm. and why and what they're trying to oppose, you know? It's a form of power. Taking away public rights is a form of power. Yeah. I, I hear this. Um, my, my, I, I think for me, this idea of taking a kind of in individual acts of resistance or this kind of, you know, you could call it curating your life towards a path of resistance, right? B being mindful and all these things. I'm with it until, I'm, I'm, until I realise that it's at a time where 
under kind of neoliberal late capitalism and the um, dissolution of the welfare state and social structures and, and this idea that everyone has to then provide every need that they have for themselves. Like you have to, you have to be this kind of, you have to be your own safety net in every sense, right? So you, you have to then take on the burden of, of figuring out what is resistance on a very personal level in every moment of your day to day. So you have to think like, how do I resist from 9am to 10am? Then how do I resist for the next two hours? And then what do I resist? How do, what's my resistance look like over the lunch break? And what is my resistance look? What's my um, bedtime routine resistance schedule? You know, what I mean, do I do in I, order I to like, that, like in order to have dreams that are full of resistance as well? <laughs> You know, like how do I, how do I, how do I just, you know, and and I think that level of burden, that kind of task that is then placed on each individual, is because it lines up in a, in a time where we are put in a in the most individualistic period of human history, so to speak. That's what makes me uncomfortable. I, I'm with it until I realise actually this is what the this is what's been asked of us by the powers who I mean, it's, it's pull the levers. It's depending on the historical precedent that you're dealing with, isn't it? Like, if you're dealing with it on the terms of the AIDS crisis or like COVID, where you can't go outside, but you want to interact on a social level, like, you have to take responsibility for something in your day-to-day -day in order to survive. It's survival, right? Whereas, yeah, okay, when you have complete liberty then it is a, feeling individualistic all the time, as you've just articulated and quite humorously, is correct, like what you're saying, you know? But in another way, it's like, you, you know, it depends on, on the body in place as well and like how these things are happening in situations. So like, like I said, the Darwish text, which is about making coffee, he can't make coffee. But you know, the, pro the problem with mentioning COVID is that from what we see, the things in Downing Street that took place, where they're, yeah, they're telling well, us to isolate and they're having parties. Evidently, yeah, that's, that's the dilemma. Is the, is the whole premise, there will never be a time when people isolate now. You know, because like you've, completely, yeah, you've completely undermined why, what it meant to isolate. Yeah. So like, that's, that's what I mean. It's like this idea of you being told this is what you should do, whereas we all know that this, this is not what, what's going to happen. Like, this is, not the, this is not a realistic situation to put us in. And it's a form of crisis management that is not taking into, condition, taking into consideration the human condition. What do you think? Still digesting it. Still digesting, you see? Maybe it, it, it's, it's like a post-dinner uh, moment. You're still digesting. Pre-dinner. Pre Pre-dinner. Yeah, this is the aperitif. Yeah. But even the way we eat, you know, one course after the other. <laughs> I didn't grow up eating like that. All the food came at once. I am from the Mediterranean too, man. Yeah. I know how it goes. We never had courses. You know. Just everything. We didn't even have cutlery. Everything on the table. Yeah. But, you know. Then you're dealing with like a historical reasoning. There's a reason why those things came to be in these places, you know. It's ordered by somebody. And that became, the order became the constitution of how people do things. If you want to rewrite the constitution, then you can go about it, but it might take a few years, you know.
Any more on food? <laughs> I don't know. Can I ask something? I was wondering about, um, I guess, the format of therapy has been mentioned a couple of times, and then I was thinking about the difference between that, the one-on-one, -on -one, or the relationship between somebody who's analysed and somebody who's analysing, and then the council and the um, synchronicity or the sharing of time and space and the way that when anyone says something, it resonates for everyone else and it brings up memories and it's kind of, it's about simultaneity. And it's just a question, I guess, to you who've put this together um, to talk about the council or why the council and what does it do? I think it's important to distinguish between what is happening here and what happens in therapy. For example, um, my experience is psychodynamic group therapy, where you have a therapist, facilitator or lead person who is um, quite opaque in the setting. So the rest of the members of the group know very little about that person. So already a kind of separation is established. It could be a hierarchy within an institutional setting, um, within a professional designation that they have. And therefore the rest of the group are in this situation where they're being observed and at the same time observing one another. So you know, similar to a panoptical model, in a way. And um, whereas in council, I feel like, true, there's Josh and I, we establish the space and we create a theme. And maybe we are looking for a structure that we, we are still working out and working through that tries to either afford the same level of opacity to everyone or the same level of transparency, depending which way you look at it. Because I didn't necessarily prepare for this. <laughs> you know, I, I just came with this question of post and that's what the space is being held for. So whatever comes to pass is the council. And then there's also the element that I'm not sure about actually, which is like, who are we talking to when we talk into the microphones, right? It's another yep. post, it's another, yep. I assume, I don't actually know, is somebody listening now or is it somebody who's going to come after us? And yeah, that's a good, good point actually. Um, yeah, so no one's listening now, this is just being recorded. Yeah, but we're talking, there's an element right in the conversation that we talk to each other, but we also assume another listener somewhere yeah. in the ether, which is, in my ideal rubric, we wouldn't have the microphones. I find them like, it's a way of isolating a person. And it also means that something gets passed around that like, means that maybe those who take longer to speak feel like they have to be on the spot to speak rather than just interjecting like when they maybe it appears to them. I find the microphone like as an object is a crutch that I wouldn't ideally want in a space like this actually. But I understand that there's like, we're working with an institution, there's responsibilities to that institution and we have to think about those. I personally agree with you, I find the microphone a little bit 
invasive, actually, in my personal space. What if there was a sound man with a 20 meter boom pole and he was just moving it around whenever someone spoke? Would that, know, would that like, be more acceptable? It's either everyone should have a microphone individually or no one, in a way, because if you're dealing with equality on the terms, like everyone should have the same start. If I'm the host and I'm holding the microphone, I've got a lot of more power than if everyone comes into the space equally. But know? is that equality in terms of opportunity or outcome? Choice. Yeah, because the no, mic, anyone choice. can ask for the mic. I know, but when you walk into the space and you said you have the right to choose to have a microphone or not, whereas if you have to be handed it because we're recording it, you're, someone might not feel comfortable speaking into this space and then they might not talk. Whereas if mm. they've already made the choice, they're here, they're in this space for that reason. True. You know? Is the issue with the recording or with the microphone actually physicality? Yeah, that's part of it, yeah. It's a technical object that's like... Yeah, but is it the, this thing in my hand or is it the fact that this thing in my hand is relaying something that will be, could be replayed at some other point? A post-event? I mean, there's multiple things in that. Like, I think it's really important that... I'm really interested in, in terms of the regards to the, the original question, like actually not documenting things. Because what, what if we had microphones that looked like ears and we just talked to these little ears in our hands? That's just another object about That would be an interesting... But what if you had no microphone? Why don't microphones look like ears? Ears are what we hear with. So we're speaking to this thing that listens to us. I don't know. Why doesn't, it, why doesn't it look like an ear? It, it, it's, 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 it's very phallic. Like it shouldn't, yeah, it shouldn't mean, look I'm the way it looks if it's listening. I'm thinking about it more phallic like objects a, don't on listen. a deeper level. Like in you know, men don't listen. Yeah, but... I'm trying to think about it on a deeper level, like in the sense that like, why is everything that we do within a, any institutional art space documented? And why can we not refuse that? You know, there's not, not and that's a Did way of... ask? I mean, I wasn't as in much, as much control, but I definitely offered but up we the could, suggestion. We could refuse it. We could just put the mics down now and, yeah, I want and to. stop. And then we could just say the recording will be deleted. Can someone close and, Joshua's mic? And, you know, the sound man we hired will still get paid. So there's no, there's no issues on that off. front. Assume <laughs> that's why um, we didn't do like names. Like, we, I mean, some of us know each other, but like, we don't know who we're speaking to here right now. Is that, is that because we're recording it or? or yeah, I mean, that, the this, yeah, for me, that, that, that's that question of opacity that comes into it, where I'm trying to, I'm wondering how helpful is it for everyone to come in and sort of. It, it becomes a bit like AA, you know, yeah, like, yeah. hi, I'm yeah. Abbas, I'm addicted to public <laughs> programmes. <you know? laughs> yeah, that, I think that level of opacity adds an interesting layer of openness in a way. But it's also, I, I, I agree with the criticism in a way, or at least it's nice to make that um, visible or, or, you know, speak that in, into the microphone. But I'm also interested in this um, idea of sending a message to, to somebody, right? This is also, again, the post. Like, we are now speaking to somebody who we don't know and we can anticipate and what do we give them? What are we giving them? And who is it going to be? And something that you do in any form of making an artwork or writing a text or something, and you speak into a phallic object. It's true. But I think conversely on the microphone point, like, because nobody sort of 
gave me a microphone, I didn't feel obligated to speak. Whereas I feel like if I was given a microphone and everybody was given a microphone, it's almost like you're saying to me, look, there's an obligation for you to say something rather than just sort of coming here and observing and absorbing what people are saying. I think also it, it perhaps raises the question of actually how do we expand our resources? So by background, I'm an economist uh, and we know that sort of our resources are limited. Uh, and so, okay, if I now produce microphones for everyone. Well, okay, fine, we're achieving some level of equality, but does that align with the kind of outcomes we want as a collective? I mean, I don't think by saying like you give a microphone to everyone, it has to be like in their hands. There's microphones that could just be there listening as part of it. And just you state in the beginning, this is being recorded. Like no one told you this was being recorded. If we're, just by holding it, you assume. But the fact that you walk into the space and it's clearly marked like this is a recorded space changes the dynamic of how you enter the space. Whereas here now, you know, there's people in this space who might not speak. We will never know that they were in this space with us, you know, and I'm, maybe, that's, maybe that's okay. I think it's fine, but like what I'm trying to say is like I prefer never to like I'm really interested in this idea as a whole, like the idea of the document as a thing, like the type of documents we use are all only recording devices. But you know, you could do something else, like we could write a report. But it could be the case. Form. It could let's, let's let's make an argument. It could be the case that the the recording is transcribed anonymously into a text and then that text is then read by someone or a group of people who were not in the council and then that's then transcribed and read
by a different group of people and then it sort of becomes this yeah, that, that's evolving potentiality. thing. But, it, but by recording it, we create that potential. You do, yes, but I'm talking about it doesn't. About, it's like, it's, it's a potential that doesn't need to, to be realised. Yeah, but the, the thing is, by documenting doesn't necessarily mean disseminating, right? So it, it's, it's up to the... This is the I think this is the situation with, with council could be the case where the members of the council decide what happens if there's documentation with that as opposed to the institution I, I don't know I, I have felt the same way about sort of documenting things particularly myself in general but I think one thing I realise is that memory is fickle and oftentimes when it comes to things in visual art spaces as people were saying and even the nature of exhibitions um, as a whole people can pick and choose what they decide to put into a text or something so when you document something as is it leaves out a lot of that ambiguity and that ambiguity is what leads to the sort of restructuring or reimagining what actually happened so I think there's something about truth in terms of like recording and documenting things as is um, that you lose if you don't do it in the first place. I know. Yeah, I, I, I also think it, 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 this is interesting because we're existing in a time where we're very aware our phones are recording us, there's these smart speakers in our homes that record us and we live in the city with the most CCTV or one of the most, you know, that's, we're being I don't know, filmed the whole time we're outside, basically everywhere we are. So we're being recorded constantly in ways that are uh, clandestine or, uh, you know, we're not always aware of it happening. And maybe this way of putting this symbol into our hands and creating this very uh, intentional space of being like, this is a space where conversation and recording is taking place in a very visible way, actually add, add something that is not present elsewhere. Again, I'm not saying it's good or bad, I, I just wonder, how it sits in relation to the, this new reality that we find ourselves in. All right, can I propose a question? Yeah. Let's just imagine for a second that more than just like voices in this space, there's other elements, yeah? Smell yeah. being one, heat being another. How do we document those? Because all we're documenting you here... You just mentioned them. Yeah, okay, but like I've mentioned them, <laughs> so I brought them into the space. But like, you know, there are, there are items in this space or things in this space, materials if you like, or elements in this space that cannot be documented in the forms that we use. Not to mention that technology is fickle. It will, like, largely... Shall I tell you what combust. Zuckerberg would say to that? Zuckerberg? Yeah, uh, Zuckerberg will say that it's a question of bandwidth, right? <laughs> Zuckerberg will say, at the moment, the bandwidth that we have in terms of receiving information from reality allows us to, to record this much. And then when I upload you into the metaverse, I can, I can recreate that right. in a particular level of detail. But within 50 to 100 years from now, I'll be able to capture pretty much every sensible element from this scenario and recreate a faithful documentation of this entire situation using whether it's lenses that work on a 3D uh, uh, kind of optic system that can recreate depth and distance, whether it's sensors that, re that capture the heat, 
uh, olfactory devices that capture smell, all, all of this will come to pass, right? So the, situ the problem you described is going to be solved in 50 to 100 years. Zuckerberg is working way, hard I, I on mean, this. There's other ways to, to solve it. Like. No, but I'm saying, is that, is that really the question? Why was it a problem? Exactly. Yeah. Problem in the first Speak place. into the mic, please. Like every act of resistance. No, but why does it need to be solved? That's the question. Thank you. Well, it goes right back to the start. Like, back with playing around with this notion of post game and just out naming it. Yeah. Like, why can't council just die after this today? Maybe it should die. It's been an hour already. <laughs> I'm just sort of full of admiration for this post that we're actually staring at. Yeah. Yes. And that's actually a acting as a tether to yes. all these other posts any of which could be burst by any of us, if we so choose. Um, and in some way, I, I, I have a feeling that's kind of what we're doing. Um, whereas our attention is acting like the wind is acting on those balloons. Yeah. Uh, and we're kind of being buffeted around by whatever we wish to focus our attention on. And whether this records or not, it almost becomes like this... Uh, imaginary device like a children's plaything is that it you know it just it gives you a permission to perform oh. uh, and the fact that all of us I mean I don't know but I certainly had read the little blurb uh, so that there was a decorum about this forum that if there were people waiting outside we'd be itching to get up and allow them to you know to take their position so I think we're all at, at some level or the other complicit in the rules and accepting of them and of our own role of, you know, of performing there. And then that, that recording, whatever it is, it's, it's a prompt, you know, it allows you, I mean, you could ignore it and write fiction if you choose, or you could write commentary, or, you know, you could sort of, you know, uh, go completely off the rails. Um, so in some way, I, I think the recording or whatever or documentation that comes out of it is very much part of the architecture that you guys have sort of put forward for this. And in some way that reflects an institutional architecture. Um, um, but it's also at some level a human architecture. It's an architecture of memory. And I think, you know, sort of the, the bigger question is, um, you know, what memory can be shared and in what form and with whom, and for what purpose? And I think those are really large questions. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have, if you have particular takes when you were organizing this forum, for for those answers. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you want to share this with? I, I think for me, I was just looking for conflations. You know, thank you. I was looking for conflations. I was thinking of conflating like a support group, which is a therapeutic modality, with an art school crit, where you know people come and kind of do support group but show their work instead of talk about their life um, and conflating that with like a radio show which is this kind of talk based format that comes, comes out of a time based media that was very much used you know throughout the kind of 20th century um, as, as you know the means of organizing society um, in a way in, in, throughout the war and many other uh, kind of social upheavals so for me, th th those conflations, I think it's like, it's like, if, it's like if you've got a balloon and, and, you, and you kind of try to, try to pinch it so that two sides of the balloon touch one another, you expand this kind of central section that kind of pops out. So you create this new space 
And for me, that's what I think of, like I refer to that space as a kind of metatopia, so to speak. Um, again, it's just a phrase I use, I don't think it's definitive, but it's this idea of trying to bring things together. You're always pushing energy or air into this other space that then has to expand. So you're co constantly trying to like squash things on top of each other and expanding these new uh, terrains or territories that emerge and I'm trying to inhabit those and see what exists in there for a period and maybe and I don't know if that answers your any of your points but that was my thinking in terms of having all of these formal and methodological kind of collisions in a sense yeah but I don't know if Josh feels the same way I mean, naturally, in the terms of like organizing something with someone, you have relations that agree. And then there are certain things I think maybe I, I would relate more to like what you were suggesting in terms of like orchestrating spaces in which we can produce memories of being social, which is something I'm very like engaged with as a whole in what I do every day when I think of like, and it's, it goes back into that question of that I'm a, I'm a little bit obsessed with, which is close to what you're talking about, like this idea of who, for whom are we doing this, but also like who has the right to be here and why do we have the right to be here and what does it mean when we're here and how do we, how do we sort of consistently think about that privilege in this space and what, and what it means to like produce memory together, you know, social memory, if you like, in the sense of those two things being joined by a hyphen, you know, like mm. how do we do that? What does it mean to do that and why do we do that? And there's, there's questions within that, like Abbas is talking about conflations, but I'm thinking always about relations. And I think relations are how you build memories. You, don't, you can build them alone, but you, at some point it's an interesting premise to say this memory only gets concrete once I engage with someone else. And it's an interesting turn in that sense. But maybe it's also a space to be witnessed. Yeah, for sure. You know, the idea of relation is like someone sees you. And maybe that's part of the premise of the show as well. It's this idea of witnessing something, you know, creating that sense that this, this is, we bear witness to this in a way that is present. You know, cause, because it's like to, if I, if I say something in this setting and I, and I feel seen, it's not just me today that feels seen. Everything about me that I've experienced up until this point that's brought me here to say what I say feels seen to me. And maybe that's what, that's what we're trying to deal with. It's, it's how, how it, like you were saying with the idea of like trauma, how, how it really defines the present. That when you feel that thing, it's as present as when you first experienced it. And yeah, maybe that's how like group therapy, so to speak, that's how it works, right? You, you, you create, like a, a good therapist would try to bring a group of people together that in a way may trigger one another because they need to be present again with that scenario that, that became such a big part of their kind of emotional landscape to then process it in a safe environment. And so it's actually about how do we bear witness to this in a new way within these boundaries, within this, this, this state that we can actually process what took place because this distance has occurred, so to speak, that allows us 
within a new environment to digest as you know you were saying you need to digest and maybe there's something in that it's been an hour is there any pressing questions or comments we may be time to digest this conversation anyone so what do we make of the proposal by Josh to delete the recording or <laughs> I don't. I think now. I think now to delete it would be more of an erasure than to have done it in the first place. Okay. As like a political position, saying, okay, we're not documenting anything. Whereas now that there is a document, it's a document. Like to delete it would be strange. That would, that would also like instigate a kind of echoing with certain behaviours that go on, yeah. which I don't think need to be labelled, but I think they're pretty obvious. You know, when you start deleting documents of people. But when you refuse it in the first place, it's different to doing it after. Uh, cool, thanks. Just, just on the point before, when you because when you mentioned coming into the space as a form of privilege, if there was no documentation, wouldn't it reinforce that privilege to say only those who could attend in person at this time, in this place, were able to benefit from the conversation? It could do. Or it could be seen as like that's the way that human interactions. Because isn't exist that in part the of the problem we're dealing with? These kind of um, echo chambers or uh, sort of shadowy spaces where things are being discussed and decided that most people don't have access to. Why does everyone need access to everything? Ask Zuckerberg. I don't know. Yeah. But, that, but and also in this space, like we chose to be outside which is a very public space, we're in the public, like anyone can walk through this space. But are want. we giving them access to everything or are we giving them access to an hour's conversation where most people are making maximum five minutes of a contribution? Or slightly yeah, more if you're me. Well, it's the premise, but it's not everything, this is the thing. It's not, no, we're, I'm not documenting everything. Huh? Yeah, yeah, in 50 years in the metaverse, we'll all just be walking around <laughs> with like donkey ears and stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to be there. It's a good model. I'll tell you that much. No, but I'll be outside. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious that, like, I know we're, we're I know we're like very um, conscious of like privacy and stuff, but maybe that's why the mics are there to make it very apparent that this isn't a private space, but it's a space that questions okay. boundaries. But there's people in this space who have not spoken. How do we know? And that's that their right. I know know. it's their right, but what I'm saying is, therefore, in the recording, all that's heard is the people who have spoken. No, you hear their breath. Okay, but but then, but but, okay, but but, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Alright, let me tell you, let me tell you something, yeah. Let me tell you. You know, you know, Mike Skinner. Very well. Okay, so Mike Skinner, the streets (laughs) here. He has a rule when he writes songs. He credits everyone that was in the room, whether they contributed or not. Yeah. So the, his song credits include people that were in the room, just sitting in the corner. They didn't. So speak there needs there. to be a written document of everyone who was here. Not necessarily. The unnamed. Not ne- there's 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 some photographs floating about, I'm sure. But th- the idea is that the people that did not speak, their energy was still present in the voices of those who did speak. So th- they, their only presence is still them. there. It doesn't necessarily mean that only if they spoke they are heard. They they are present. When I speak, I'm mindful of them. That's about accreditation, man. Now it's a legalistic framework we're coming into. It's, it's, it's a different conversation. 
Everyone gets royalties on those songs because they've been registered, man. Okay, so uh, if there's, there's royalties from this, please get in touch, guys. <laughs> please. We've got an economist as well. He'll, he'll, figure out, he'll figure out how we can manage it. A pound don't come for free. He says that quite clearly as a lyric in the song. I don't know. If cancel became as lucrative as Mike Skinner's music career, that would be a conversation worth having. Yeah. I don't know. You opened up a door to equity of like who, who owns things in the conversation. It's very true. Any other points? I'm going to say something. I'm sorry, I missed the conversation. Oh, no problem. You're welcome. No, no, sorry. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm the curator of the show, so um, yeah, and I'm late. Um, but it sounds like it's been really interesting. Huh? Yeah. It's been good. What yeah, day? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, the, 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 the sun is shining on council. We were told there would be rain, but you know, I don't really believe in that kind of timeline. <laughs> yeah. Should we close it here? Thank is you all for coming, yeah, participating, yeah. breathing. The sound guy? Yeah, it's Sorry, what's your name? Adam. Adam. Thank you, Adam, for recording and making sure that we are we, we are being documented, <laughs> even though it's a contentious. Yeah, thank you. All right. Congrats, everyone. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.